Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Marvel, the official Marvel podcast of all news, new releases, action, adventure, and big milestones, because this is episode number 150. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Ben Morse, uh, a.k.a. the sounds guy from Police Academy, uh, editor of Marvel.com. Michael, Michael Winslow. Winslow right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, it's episode 150. <laughs> we did it. Nobody thought we would last this long. Yeah. How three years. Three essentially. years. Essentially. Almost. Yeah. Or over. Mean, well, we have to get six more weeks to be the official three years, but 150 is almost. Oh, my God. Never missed a week. Still. Nope. Jinxing ourselves on that one. Yep. We got a big episode today. We've got all the usual stuff. We're going to be talking about comics. We're going to be telling you guys the news. Then, for this week in Marvel Reading Club, uh, maybe... Possibly one of our biggest ever. Have we done 12 issue ones before? Avengers Forever was 12 issues, and we did that. Yep. Well, that was the beginning. Yeah. We we sort of toned it down a little bit after. We did Squadron Supreme, one of my all time favorites. Kind of ties into Marvel's 75th anniversary because we're in the 80s over on Marvel.com slash 75 right now. It's a huge book. We read all of it. Uh, We had four weeks to do it, thanks to some scheduling stuff. Uh, A lot of double sized issues in there, too. And. We're going to talk about it, we're going to read your comments, and then we're going to have a friend of the show, Tom Prevord, in to talk about it as well. So, a fitting way to celebrate 150 episodes of This Week in Marvel. Yeah. But before we get there, we got some comics to cover. Comics! I'm up first, I think. You are. L comes before M. Yes, it does. I know that. My last name starts with M. Hey! (laughs) All right. All New Ultimates, number eight, written by Michelle Thief. Art by, let's try this, Giannia Milano Giannis, right? Yeah, yes. Sounds about right. Ish. Anyways, uh, all new Ultimates, they are still in the aftermath of Cataclysm and all that crazy stuff. Some weird new villains show up. Knockout, Whiplash, Bloodlust, Mind Blast. I do not think these are Ultimate versions of existing villains, but the gang is hanging around in Jessica Drew's apartment. This art is, is cool. It's very European, very indie, all that stuff. Um, we have the team fighting, but also dealing with their living situation. I love this take on Miles Morales. Uh, they have some ideas on how they might possibly be able to find a new place to live. There's some drama with Cloak and Dagger. This is just such a quirky teen book. It is so far removed from what Ultimates was at this point. It is gone. It's just this street-level team of kids trying to figure out where to live, interacting with other members of the Ultimate Universe, and uh, just having having lots of drama with some pretty cool art. So check it out. So much teenage drama. Mm. Uh, over to Amazing Spider-Man number six, written by Dan Slott, art by Umberto Ramos. Uh, you like that, Ben? Yeah, That's a, a 150 special right there. Yeah, uh, very, so, very Latino. Yeah, Latino. Uh, uh, just so you guys know, I am Colombian. It's okay and, for him to say And it, uh, it's an in-joke. In-joke. Anyway. That's what 150 is uh, all about. Yeah, 150 is all about the in-jokes, guys. You're not going to get any of them. Hmm. Uh, so we've got uh, the big culmination of Black Cat's first attempt at destroying everything uh, Spider-Man has built. Yeah, what a great uh, villain she's going to be yeah. again. Uh, <laughs> but I love, because the, the cliffhanger oh, on the last issue so was good. Black Cat unmasking Spider-Man, powerless, on TV with J. Jonah Jameson right there, and you get the first page, and you're like, oh, crap. And then the second, the, after that, you realize that Jonah pulled a super boneheaded move. Yep. Terrific. Pulled a total boner. I was 
was hoping you were yep. going to pull the bone right out. There. Uh, we got uh, Silk and Spidey getting out uh, just barely, and lots of cool plans and things come together, and they, they sort of sit down and figure out, well, all right, we know what we're up against. Electro and Black Cat. Here's what we got to do. Let's trick them. They're going to trick us. We're going to trick them again. Uh, it's tricks. Uh, lots of, like, you know, um, hanky-panky between mm -hmm, Silk mm -hmm. and uh, Spidey because they just can't keep their hands off each other. Uh, but big stuff that happens for Electro. Uh, some big changes even further for Black Cat and her status in the criminal underworld. And uh, a good place for Silk to be. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. I love that character. So she's great. great. She's got a very fresh perspective, having been cooped up in a you know building for years and years, and now just wanting to get out there and have fun. But also, she knows the gravity, and she's got a weird relationship with Peter Parker. Great new character. Avengers number thirty-four point one, written by Al Ewing, art by Dale Keown. Always nice to see Dale's art. Oh my Marvel. god! And um, what an appropriate week to have this, as it's a spotlight on Hyperion. As we're reading Squadron Supreme, featuring a different Hyperion, but uh, some commonalities between the two. In this issue, first of all, there's a really clever kind of swerve to start. I don't know, I maybe have to ask you after we're at a break if you fell for this the same way I did. But the gist is a kid has been kidnapped. Um, we're not sure why, we're not sure quite by whom, except that he has some sort of powers. Hyperion drops in on the family who this kid has been stolen from. And it's a very cerebral sort of issue, very character-heavy issue, in that we have Hyperion, we're in his head, and all he wants to do is help. But he's so otherworldly and so just kind of doesn't know how to deal with things that everyone's just creeped out by him. But, the, but, but I felt for him because I'm like, he's doing everything right. Yeah. He's approaching the situation correctly. He's trying to reassure everybody. But this is probably how real people would react to someone as ridiculously powerful and just weird as Hyperion. Um, we get a lot into Hyperion's backstory, but not a, not I mean, totally. Think about it. It's like it's like a guy the size mm -hmm. of Brock Lesnar oh, yeah. or John Cena comes into your house. And he's floating, by the way. He's floating and just giant dude, yep. and he's like, I would like to help you. Yeah, and just so calm, like unearthly calm. But we get into just enough of his background and his past, but more that I still want to know what's oh, going yeah. on. But we get teases of where he came from. Having read Squadron Supreme, I was immediately like, what's the, what's the similarities? What are the differences between this and Squadron Supreme Hyperion? But you get enough. You know that he came from another world, uh, and he was taught by this guy who is his adoptive father. A lot of philosophical stuff like, what are you... The question they keep asking is, what are you for? You have all this power. You can do all these things. What What is your purpose? Are you here to you know, protect a few people? Are you here to protect the whole planet? Should you be focusing your thing? And then back to this thing with the kidnapped kid, there's a big twist. It's really sad. Hyperion, I just was like, man, I just want to root for this guy. He's yeah. just a good dude. He's just a good, solid guy, and he has ridiculous power, and he's been through so much. And his experiences here, he doesn't really get thanked or anything like that, but his experiences here kind of set him up as like, okay, this is my mission now. So it definitely made me want to read more Hyperion stuff. Oh yeah, whether by Al, preferably by Al. I would like, really yeah, I would like Al it. to. Um, I would love to read more Al Ewing Hyperion stories, and just ends on a positive note, but also just very interesting. This, this issue just 
got me, man. Just grab me. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Avengers Undercover, number 10, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Tig Walker. This is the big wrap-up to the giant story that's been going on across, you know, three series, four series. Fun fact, Rance Bill Roseman, editor of the book, who writes a nice letter at the end, but yes, he talks about, he literally says the story's over all the way back to Avengers The Initiative. Um, but I asked him, I said, Tig Walker, Kev Walker, coincidence, related, he's Pure coincidence. Huh. And he also said that a lot of online reviewers have been commenting that uh, they don't like, they just read the front cover where it just says Walker. And they're like, I don't know about how Kev Walker's taking his style. <laughs> like, this is just such a departure for him. No, different person. Yes. Pay attention. Read all the credits, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, that's good triumphs over evil, more or less. Uh, we get, you know what? There's, I felt really good for the kids mm -hmm. by the end. And I also liked that it wasn't just like, oh, all the kids, you know, are redeemed. Because yep. there's still some, they people took some, made some bad choices well, and did some things. at least one doesn't come home. At least one at does least not one. come home. Um, also, we get excellent comeuppance for our boy Arcade. Yeah. I also got to say, these the, the Zemo symbol, oh. like, come on. Freaks me Come out. on, guys. Yeah. Who are we kidding here? Like <laughs> he's a Nazi. Yeah, he's a Nazi. We he's get it. always going to be a Nazi. Yeah. Someone should kick him in the balls. Yeah. Whoa. All the time. Hello. Hey. Anyway, Captain Marvel number seven, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and art by Marsho Takara. Love seeing uh, Marsho's art here. Did yeah. he did one of the Mark Wade Boom books? I can't remember which one. If it was irredeemable Irredeemab or incorruptible. I, One of the two. I don't know. Anyways, Peter Krauss did a bunch. You know, yeah. he did Incorruptible. Peter Krauss did most of Irredeemable. Yeah. Thing. Anyway, terrific. Really, really great stuff. Um, it's, you know, after the big events of the first storyline where uh, Captain Marvel went off and helped uh, the sailing races and did all this stuff and, you know, punched, uh, f metaphorically punched uh, Jason. Ugh, uh, the worst. It was great. Still uh, running far ahead for my villain of. 2014. <laughs> but she's, she's now she's back in space. She's going to link back up with the Guardians to uh, get her ship, get her cat, and, you know, go on more adventures. And boom, she gets her ship. And who's in it? Rocket Raccoon. I'm going to say this. She eventually has reason to be mad at Rocket, but when she's mad at him right off the bat just for being there, I was kind of like, what? He's just watching your ship. But think about it this way he was a jerk to her about I her cat it. from I before and it. she's still holding on to that because no, no. as someone who loves the cats yeah i get it i get it uh, i felt a little for rocket i thought she was pouring a little hard and then later i didn't because <laughs> he screwed up yes but it's all you know it's great uh we got to see it turns into like i tweeted about this it, not at all what I was expecting out of the book, but mm. every more than I could have hoped for. <laughs> uh, turned into a different kind of story. story uh, big old twist by the end. And I was like, what? Uh, fantastic all around. Yeah. Very, very highly recommended. All right. Deadpool number 34, an original Sin tie-in, a flashback to the 90s. We've been waiting for this because we knew they were going through the ages and we knew they had to get to the 90s eventually. This is one of those issues that reminds us that Deadpool is a book where... Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn, who wrote it, uh, can flip on a dime from hilarious to, holy crap, that's the most depressing thing ever. And they do it like three times in the course of this book. First of all, it's set in the 90s, and Scott Coblish, the artistic chameleon, does a perfect send-up of Deadpool in the 90s. It's Seriously, amazing. It's uncanny. Sabretooth's hair 
is probably the highlight because all mutants had this crazy hair back in the day. I also love it that it's like pre bulk up mm-hmm. saber tooth. He's yeah. he's still like I mean he's Slim. got a lot of muscles, but he's he's got that Deadpool's actually more bulked up frame. than he is. Yeah, um, and I also they use the old school Deadpool war yeah. balloons as opposed to the yellow ones. Very honest. Uh, so we we flash back to our boy Butler, the jerk who put Deadpool through everything he went through, who is now dead. But he, at this point in time, has Deadpool under so many drugs and other stuff. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's losing his memory. So he sends um, Deadpool and Sabretooth to Canada to kill Deadpool's parents. That's the mission. Unbeknownst. Sort of unbeknownst to Deadpool. Because then, like, yeah. yeah. I'll let you keep going. So then we get there, and they have this amazing, (laughs) amazing fight with 1990s Alpha Flight who, in 1990s fashion, all introduced themselves using their names and, like, saying their powers and, like, doing it crazy. The art is insane. Um, I love that characters like Windshear... Obviously, Jerry and Brian love Windshear because they (laughs) really focus in heavy on him and Goblin with a Y. Oh, then we have these horizontal splash page shots and this big fight. It's so funny and it's so ridiculous that it blindsides you because then Deadpool does something so freaking sad and tragic and, and it's it's like four pages that are just no silent word, yeah. no word balloons just dark so it's more than four, silent. It's like oh yeah six. it's let's look at this it's one two three four five six seven eight eight page silent sequence of this horrible thing that deadpool does um which is excellent storytelling amazing. from everyone involved the art just tells it and look at Sabretooth sad. When is Sabretooth ever sad? Sabretooth like, is even, like, even he's like, that was messed up. You're you're twisted, bro. Yeah. And then we flip immediately back to <laughs> Deadpool doing goofy jokes. Uh, 1990s Luke Cage and Iron Fist showing up. <laughs> Deadpool finding out he has a daughter. Um, stuff we didn't see that's crucial to the plot. More messed up stuff with Butler. And then it gets sad again. And then we go back to the present. And, and, and there's a segue to him getting hired by Tolliver. And then we go back to the present. And... Um, Agent Adsit revealing that he know this he was telling this whole story because he knows everything that's going on. And this cute bit with Deadpool and his daughter and sad again. It's just like, man, like running talk about running the gamut of emotions here, writing wise, artistically, just just doing everything. It was almost like we talk about there's an eight page silence sequence. It's like this book felt like it was fifty pages long because yeah. there's so many stories within the story. Beautiful. In a good way. Yeah, a very beautiful good work by these guys. Yeah. Uh, over to Death of Wolverine number two. Man, the book is weekly. It's yep. coming at you, slicing yeah. and dicing, and woo It's <laughs> gorgeous. Uh, this book, this issue is called Poison. And uh, Poison. obviously, it, you got Viper, who is now taking over Madripoor, yep. and she got Sabretooth on a leash, and Wolverine's like, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to slick my hair down and, <laughs> and look all, you know, cool and grimy and hang out with some ladies and infiltrate a badass club and all kinds of stuff. Uh, lots of great stuff. You know, we don't get a lot of Steve McNiven art. Nope. But when, when we, we do, do. Whew, it is something special. Uh, brilliant, really awesome fight sequence, uh, several fight sequences. And there's this uh, flashback two-page spread, Ooh, yeah. uh, which looks back at Wolverine and Sabretooth battles of the past and is yeah. so awesome. People need that as posters, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool, we get an appearance of another character and sort of, we really get to see a, a, a deeper 
bit of why Wolverine is being hunted in this way right now, who's after him, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of other connections. And uh, it's just terrific. Two more issues, and the big man bites the dust. Little man. He's he's, he's big. Not. He's got big, a big heart. Big heart. Big heart. All right. Another big one this week, Edge of Spider-Verse number one, featuring Spider-Man Noir, uh, written by David Hine and also Fabrice Sapolsky. I'm trying to get the name right. Art by Richard Eisenhoff. You know, Spider-Man Noir is really cool because <clears throat> when the, the limited series came out, all those noir limited series, I thought they were a really neat idea, but they never really got that much traction. But Spider-Man Noir, through the video game, through the cartoon, through this now such a shelf life on this character which i think is great because it's a neat idea it's spider-man a very harder edge spider-man back in the 1930s uh different takes on different characters and this we just get we see what he's been up to it flashes forward a few years from the last series so it's spider-man in a world where he's kind of defeated everyone which is different because it's yeah. like with our spider-man there's always more stuff to do with this spider-man it's like well there were two villains he beat them both and so now he's just fighting bank robbers but he goes up against a version of Mysterio here. There's stuff with Aunt May, with Mary Jane. And then it also becomes a Spider-Verse event because Superior Spider-Man shows up, Moreland shows up. Uh, it ties back into the bigger story. Beautiful art by Richard Eisenhoff. Great chance to see these characters check in with this world, this universe, see what they've been up to. I wouldn't mind seeing more Spider-Man noir in the future. Yeah. I mean, we will see him in Spider-Verse. If he survives, it'd be great to see more of him in his own element. And Ultimate Spider-Man Web Warriors. Oh, yeah. Catch him in that as well. Well, that's what I was saying. He's going to be in yeah. uh, the cartoon. He was in the video games. He's all over the place. Yeah. Empire of the Dead, Act 2, number one, is out this week, with uh, written by George Romero and art by Dalibor Talajik. And uh, it's got more of that creepy, weird, political drama, vampires and zombies action from the first series. Uh, it, there's just, like, the, the creepy eye patch dude. Uh, who I think is a vampire, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's, he's a vampire. Uh, and then you've got, like, the zombies that aren't quite, uh, that that are adapting, which I think is cool because that's, we've seen a little bit of that before in some of the Romero films, uh, particularly Day of the Dead. You see, um, oh, what's his name? Bill? Buck? Bob? There's a zombie that a they, they sort of train. B name. Um, anyway, all that and uh, more drama and political maneuvering coming. Fantastic Four, number 10, written by James Robinson, art by Mark Levine. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here, continuing. The Fantastic Four is basically split. They are all in terrible situations, and we're following each of them in this case. A lot of time focused on The Thing and uh, the former Miss Marvel, Sharon Ventura, now called She-Thing. They're both in jail. We find out why Sharon's there. James, again, really leans on his... Oh, yeah, go uh, on. A question. Yes, uh, please. How did She-Thing become She-Thing back in the day? I don't remember. She got exposed to... Do you remember when Thing was all, like, extra rocky? Oh, like spiky. Extra, like, ridge of spikes. And he, he could, like, beat up right. Hulk. She and him both got caught in a radiation uh, cosmic rays deal where they both got further... She got mutated into She-Thing, and then he got mutated further. She actually turned back for a little bit, but uh. then I think Doctor Doom did something that switched her back again. Anyways, she's a sad character because she used to be this like beautiful woman wrestler um, who fell in love with the thing, didn't care how he looked, and then eventually she ended up becoming how she looked, and then the thing kind of ditched her. Oh, so it was like, ben, dude, come on! It's like you, she could have 
done whatever, but she was chose to be with you. And then once she looked like that, he was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Illusion Master. What a jerk. Which, yeah, it was kind of jerky. So it's cool to see her here. And it was cool to see James Robinson really lean on his strength, which is, you know, continuity, knowing how these characters connect. Uh, also stuff with Rude Richards going up against the Wizard and Salem's Seven, but not all of them. There's three of them because the Wizard formed another Frightful Four. And a last page cameo that was a little unexpected and kind of neat and fit really well. Yeah. Hawkeye number 20, uh, always a treat when getting to show Hawkeye, and this one I really, really liked. Um, written by Matt Fraction, art by Annie Wu, because this is a Kate Bishop story. Kind of hard to follow in a good way that it makes you think more, um, because it's jumping all over the place in terms of where the story is going. But basically, this is the end of Kate's L.A. adventure. Uh, she is going for broke against Madame Mask. She recruits all her friends. She finds out that someone she thought she was was dead is not. She has this plan to get in. Again, it's hard to describe because it's such a non-linear story. She's in jail at one point. Uh, she is fighting Madame Mask at one point. She finds something out about a family member. And eventually, she's headed back to help out Clint Barton. But the dialogue in this is just so great. Oh, man. Kate Bishop is such an awesome character. And she was an awesome character going into this Hawkeye series. But Matt Fraction has really mastered her yeah um and hopefully we'll set up random line. anyways any Wu's art is great so friggin good just very different conveys the action well does the talking scenes well everyone has so much character love the flashbacks everything that makes hawkeye fun is in this issue um it's a it's a great issue just to jump on and you know what as as all over the place as it is it does a nice job recapping kate's storyline so far so you could pick this up and be like oh that's pretty cool i want to read more hawkeye yeah so Success on every level. Terrific. Uh, Inhuman, number five, written by Mr. Charles Soule, with art by Ryan Stegman and Marte Gracia. And uh, we've got a couple different stories going on in here. One, uh, we've got some of the new humans, as they're new being called. New, uh, Recounting, you know, their tales, their, some, some tales of woe, mm. and uh, their origin. We get uh, one of the kids, uh, I can't, what is his name? Uh, is it the Rocky kid? Yeah. I don't remember his name now. Because he hasn't taken a code name yet. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. Him to yeah, his name, his real name is Jason. Take uh, a code name, buddy, so you yeah. can remember what your name is. Inferno's like, you need a code name. And, and Jason's like, wait, your first name is Dante, Dante. and you took Inferno. And he's like, oh, it was great. It was, he's like, whatever, I'm awesome. I'm a rocker. Uh, we get to is. find out what Jason's story is. And he was adopted and he lived in Minnesota. And then, you know, like the bigger mythology that's coming out of that is really, really cool. While at the same time, in New Adelon, uh, we've got the un unheard, unseen? Unspoken? Unspoken? Yeah, can't say his name. Yeah, the, right. The Unspoken uh, is making a play for power, and he's tricking Medusa, mm -hmm. but then Medusa's tricking him, but then he's tricking Medusa again. All kinds of backstabbing and big things going on, and the balance of power may be shifting for the Inhumans. Dun, dun, dun. Over to Magneto number nine. Is this our first March to Axis book? It is. Book? The March to Axis. No, Captain America last week. Oh, right. But oh, oh, it's the right. first, like, Captain America was kind of tangentially a March to Axis. This is a full yeah, I mean, yeah, this We is, are in Genosha getting dirty. I mean, and this is, you know, a lot of Magneto leading of the stories yeah. previously, leading to yeah. him, like, Tracking down who's messing yeah. with mutants. And I was pretty psyched to see, because we love this book. Yeah. And I was pretty psyched to see it kind of, it's been a little separate, even though it's had characters from the Marvel Universe, just like plunge straight on into like oh, stuff. Yeah. 
right that was kind of cool and not compromised yeah like not it still stayed itself a hundred percent colin is still killing it on this it's very mm -hmm. dark it's very um you know it's there's there's just this sense of dread and uh anger uh you know it's magneto that's mm -hmm. what you get uh we get you know a lot of reflection on his past and how it affects what he's doing now uh and he runs up and he sees he figures out what's going on red skull red skull's got charles xavier's brain that don't sit well with magneto mm -mm. uh and he's got these uh his s-men and there's a battle that goes on i love the s-men designs and yeah, they're, they're, great. they're terrific they're super weird i think uh, they're originally cassidy designs but yeah. actually gabriel Hernandez walter really makes them his own oh, so good uh, and you know, like Magneto's like, I'm gonna take you out, Red Skull. You're nothing but a Nazi, no yeah. good, Nick. Screw you, Nazi. And uh, things maybe don't go so well for Mags. Poor Magneto. Poor Magneto. Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble number twelve, adapting the hit cartoon. This one is based on Avengers Impossible by Man of Action and Joe Fallon. It is adapted by our boy Joe Caramagna. It is appropriate for all ages. You can share it with your kids. You can share it with your parents. You can all enjoy it together. Yay! Yay! Uh, all right. Over in Ms. Marvel number eight, we've got uh, Kamala has a new dog. The, mm. the Lockjaw comes bounding up down the street, and people are freaking out because he's a giant dog <laughs> with a tuning fork on his forehead and sort of like a mustache. And she's like, oh, my God, you are just the cutest, most humongous thing i ever seen. And uh, takes him home. Amazing art by Adrian Alfona, as always. G. Willow Wilson, just terrific dialogue, great story. It's funny, and it's cute, and it's weird, and it's silly, uh, and it's action-packed, and it's heartfelt. It's it's damn near perfect uh and we get to see that um something's up by the end of the issue something's up she's been fighting robots and mm -hmm. she's going after the uh the inventor who's like the clone parakeet dude ah so, so, so great uh lockjaw and kamala are maybe in a bad spot by the end of this issue but friggin terrific yeah new warriors number nine aka the anti-buddy issue uh, this is like the opposite of a buddy cop movie. It's written by Chris Yost, guest art by Tana Ford, and Justice, straight-laced, nice guy, you know, all squeaky clean, all American, and Scarlet Spider, the bad boy, head back to Houston, uh, where Scarlet Spider has been trying to get away from. Uh, Scarlet Spider's not happy about this. He wanted to go back to Mexico, but Justice took him to Houston because that's where Hummingbird said he's from, so he basically takes him to Houston. He's trying to convince him to stay with New Warriors. Scarlet Spider is like, I hate you. I hate everything. I hate everyone on this team. I hate everything that's going on. Meanwhile, a few years ago, a mascot, a giant, a, a, a bear mascot for the Houston oh, basketball man. team named Choke got hit by a meteorite and made into a giant bear. So here you have Bickering Justice and Scarlet Spider in Houston. And then all of a sudden, this giant, like, teddy bear thing, Choke the Bear, shows up. <laughs> Um, with all his, like, goofy puns involving sports. And they have, it's like, it's like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man fighting the Ghostbusters, but <laughs> somehow even crazier. Um, so, yeah, in the midst of it, Justice is still trying to be like, hey, man, maybe you should join the team. And Scarlet Spider's like, hey, I still hate you. And Justice is like, you know what, you're a jerk. No, you're a jerk. And it's just glorious. And the rest of the New Warriors go clubbing. So you get a little bit of everything. We see a little of the uh, old Scarlet Spider supporting cast. There's a line that Hummingbird said that bummed me 
Oh, this. Ouch. Yeah, that was that was like. And I was like, opposite. really, Chris? You're gonna do that? Yeah. I'm gonna punch you in the neck. Yeah, it's sad. New Order is a great book. Um, I love the reveal of what's going on with the choke. I love I love every line of dialogue that Scarlet Spider speaks. Uh, he is tremendous yeah. under the pen of one Christopher Yost. Yes. Nightcrawler number six, written by Chris Claremont, art by Todd Knock. Nightcrawler has gone on a rescue mission. He's taken Rico, this little scorpion-looking kid from the, the I love that kid. school. He's awesome. He's so... Claremont just knows how to write those sympathetic like kid characters. He's so weird-looking, but he's got a good heart, and he wants to do the right thing. They're fighting the Crimson Pirates, who are other old Claremont characters, weird powers. I think Chris Claremont's really hitting a new stride on this book. Nightcrawler is clearly a character who he can pick up and write whenever. He's just got him. He's got what makes him likable. He's got what makes him tortured, uh, why people gravitate towards him. A lot of great action this issue, some mysteries set up, um, some neat, like fun, aspirational moments with him and Rico. And that's good because next issue uh, it says Death of Wolverine. Yeah. So that probably won't be as fun. Yeah. All right. Over to X Force number nine by Cy Spurrier and Rocky Kim. Uh, you've got the X Force crew and the British Black Ops team, which has superpowers, yeah. and MI 13. Uh, there's fighting and anger and revelations and then they figure out well maybe we need to do some stuff together and then volga the the looming yeah. threat of volga never goes away i Volga's love it. right up there with jason for me oh yeah don't like him uh some you know cool character stuff throughout here uh some really funny interactions between the x-force crew and the mi-13 crew Hilarious. in particular uh phantom x and uh um, Fiza Excalibur. Yeah, Excalibur. Yeah, she's awesome. Oh, so good. Uh, but uh, by the end, we we see that there's something fishy going on that Pete Wisdom understands, yep. and I like that Pete's like, "All right, look, I can't, I shouldn't be telling you this, but you're a mutant, and I'm a mutant. Yeah. This is bigger than my government, so let's yep. let's talk." Uh, and then there's a laughing bug. X Force getting good, y'all. Yeah. This may be one of the hardest weeks I can remember as far as picking a Twim of the Week. There is so much stuff I want to put in there. Yeah. Um, there's stuff like outside the mix that on a normal week would get it, but I think my big four would be Avengers, Deadpool, Hawkeye, and Magneto. I really liked all of them. Yeah. And so I don't cheat. I will go ahead and say... It's funny, I came into it thinking one thing, but after recapping them, I think I'm going to do another and go with Avengers. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, the Hyperion is really good. Uh, that was going to be my pick, but well, since you already you chose go. it, I'll choose somewhere something else. else. I will go with... Man, this is tough. Right? I could, like, good week. Captain Marvel or Magneto, Ms. Marvel, New Warriors. Oh, yeah, New, like, New Warriors is one of those ones that's, like, just outside for me, but it could easily be... Uh, they're all good. Yeah. Um, I think I'll go with Deadpool. Yeah, uh, you know, just Deadpool the, was real good. It, it's, you know, Duggan and Hussein doing that like weird, funny, quirky, mm -hmm. dark yeah. thing at the same time. It's just so good. Yeah, so, so a lot of good stuff this week. Uh, also on sale this week, collection wise, all new X Men Volume Five, One Down in hardcover. Castle, a calm before storm. That title always confused me, but I don't watch Castle. Uh, it's out in trade, so maybe I can read it. Isn't his name Derek Storm? I don't know. I thought his name was Castle. Frank Castle, not it's Frank, not Frank Ca Castle. It, Castle is the writer. Storm is his character. Nathan Fillion, come on the show and explain to us <laughs> about Castle. Okay. Uh, 
That's <laughs> my you. Nathan Fillion Thank voice. Thank you, monstrous Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Fantastic Four Epic Collection Volume 1, the world's greatest comic magazine in trade. Marvel Masterworks Fantastic Four Volume 16 in hardcover. New Avengers Volume 2, Infinity in trade paperback. Uncanny Avengers Volume 4, Avenge the Earth in hardcover. Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker, the complete collection in trade. And X-Men as Guardian Wars in trade. As Guardian Wars trade is so great. Yeah, man. That's the uh, inspiration for Brian Bendis' current all-new X-Men arc. So yeah. check it out. Neat. Uh, digital comics on sale this week. We've got pretty much everything I've talked about already. Also, Plus yeah. the Marvel 75th Anniversary Magazine, which is available in print as well. Yep. We didn't uh, talk about it because it's a magazine, but yeah. it's pretty neat. It's full of all kinds of cool stuff. A lot of behind-the-scenes yep. things. and um, Yeah, definitely check it out. It's great for those who are interested in history. Also, uh, we helped put together the poll mm-hmm. uh, for fans. You Top know, a way to vote. issues, yeah. And, and so those 75 stories, stories. are... Uh, now we reveal them fully yep. in here. I mean, they were revealed online, but you yeah, get a little bit you more. You can see there. Yeah. Um, and Tim Stevens wrote an article yeah. about digital. Yeah, and I noticed you didn't get a thanks. I did not. And I was a little, I was a little bothered I by also, that. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote part of that. I wrote the introduction to the top seventy-five. I was reading. I was like, I see the names and the yeah. thanks. I was like, Ben should be in yeah. here. Take, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Coming for you, Jeff Youngquist. Yeah. Coming for you. Take that. Um, also on sale on the app, we've got Avengers number 100 through 114 and 119 through 123 from the original run. Collections on the app this week, all new X-Men Volume 5, One Down, Fantastic Four, Epic Collection, the world's greatest comic magazine, Marvel Zombie Supreme. Man, it's just a Squadron Supreme kind of week. Is that what that that's one is? One oh, the, right. Yeah, that's one where Jack of Hearts Jack of back. Hearts. Yeah. yeah, we got Jack of Hearts. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Marvel Volume 9, Best You Can Be. In case you guys are confused, that is the previous Carol Danvers volume of Miss Marvel, because obviously Kamala is not on volume nine yet. Doesn't even have nine issues out yet. Right. Unless we, yeah, literally every issue would have to be like <laughs> two trades. Um, Uncanny Avengers volume four, Avenge the Earth. Uncanny X-Men volume three, Holy War. I think that's from the Joe Casey, uh, what's his face, Chuck Austin era. Yeah, I remember the, the, the yeah. priest outfits. And yep. X-Factor Volume 16, together again for the first time, X-Men Masterworks Volume 5, and X-Men Prelude to Schism. Very good. Schism. All right, on Marvel Unlimited this week, we've got all-new X-Men number 24, Avengers Undercover number 1, Black Widow number 4, Captain Marvel number 1, Deadpool 25, Fantastic Four number 2, Hawkeye number 17, Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble number 6, Mighty Avengers number 8, Revolutionary War Motormouth number 1, Secret Avengers, number one. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number nine. Superior Spider-Man, number 29. And Wolverine, number three. Lots of great stuff. Yep. Captain Marvel, number one in there, right? Yeah. So that's Chock full of goodness. Chock full. Chock full. News. We got news. Uh, in comics news, I had a very cool chat with our chief creative officer, Joe Casada, yesterday. I went in and talked to him about this, this Miracle Man story he's doing. That's crazy. In December, there's going to be a Miracle Man annual. It's actually called All New Miracle Man Annual because that's what we do. Um, we love the all new. Yeah, uh, my brain broke. It's got two stories. One's by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, um, the Ecstatics team. So they're going to be doing a new story. And then the big one is there's an old Grant Morrison script from the 1980s. And we're using it. It's never been used before because it wasn't published uh during the original run, and Joe is drawing it. So it's a Grant Morrison, Joe Quesada, new Miracle Man story set in the time of Miracle Man. I got to go talk to Joe about it and how he got in touch with Grant, how he got the script. Him and Grant actually, 
I thought it was a case where maybe it was just an old script. Grant gave it to him and Joe drew it. But they've actually been like going back and forth and collaborating. Really? Yeah, this that is, is amazing. So it was not like uh, Grant's like, sure, you can use my old script. It's like Joe. First of all, Grant had to find it, which he wrote it on a typewriter. So it <gasps> took him forever to find it. Um, or it didn't take him that long, but he sent it to Joe. It was all like yellowed and everything. And Joe's like, can I? Because it wasn't scripted like a normal comic. He said it was scripted, uh, not page by page, but just panel to panel. And so Joe did like layouts, and then he sent it back to Grant. And Grant's like, yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking. But what about this? And then they, so they went back and forth. So Grant was actually that's amazing. On this. I know. I thought it was just kind of like Grant giving permission, but he was actually working on this. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, read more about it in the interview I did with Joe. He talked. He has a lot of cool stories about the process and about who his influences are. It might surprise you. Um, it's very cool, man. If this leads us to getting Grant doing stuff for us knows, again, man. I will be so happy. I'm going to punch somebody in the face. I'm That's so happy. That, yeah, that blew my mind, though, when he told me. He's like, oh, yeah, Grant and I have been emailing back and forth. Oh, he's like, this, this is a thing. That this is, is terrific. Yeah. So on the other end of the spectrum, that is uh, Miracle Man. We also have Axis coming up. Started 30 days of Axis this week. Dig this, people. For 30 days, beginning on Monday, and this includes Saturdays and Sundays, you follow Marvel.com, follow all our social media. I'm talking Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Google+. Plus. It was going to be Pinterest, but Adrian Cowan said, no, no Pinterest. She didn't want to use Pinterest. I don't know why. But all of those, every single day for you, we're going to have something you have not seen from Axis, whether it is Rick Remender talking about a character who's going to be involved in a new quote. Uh, we have preview art from Adam Kubert. We have dialogue pieces from Remender's script. We got everything. So it's going to be a really neat look. We got 30 of them, and uh, it's going to keep going. It's going to be sustained. Talking about some of our creators, we had some great interviews over the last week on Marvel.com. Art Adams spoke about his original Sin poster, uh, that giant thing that's combining all the variant covers. That thing is ridiculous. Beautiful. I love it. Beautiful. Mahmoud Azrar opened up his uh, all-new Young Gun sketchbook. Some incredible stuff, all his all-new X-Men work. Tim O'Shea dug into that with him. And uh, Russell Dowderman I spoke to uh, about Thor, uh, and he gave me some character designs, some black and white pages that hadn't been seen anywhere else. So a lot of behind the scenes. This is, uh, this is stuff you get on Marvel.com. Dowderman was on behind. Cyclops, right? Yes, sir. And now he's on Thor. Fun fact, he uh, did the first couple issues of Cyclops, got married, went on his honeymoon, came back from his honeymoon, and was told, hey, you're doing the new Thor. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, that that's pretty great. All, like, hey, I'm just yeah. gonna start doing comics for Marvel. I'm gonna yeah. get married, and now I'm being put on one of the yep. biggest books that all the negotiations. Yeah. But like, all the everything took place while he was gone, so he wasn't privy to any uh, of that. Hey, you might end up on Thor. Like that all took place while he was on his honeymoon. Came back, you're you're doing sweet Thor. Sweet gig. Okay, cool. Uh, Brett White did something kind of cool last week for Marvel 70th anniversary called X Men Deep Cuts, where he went into Chris Claremont's legendary run on X Men, focusing on the 80s. Um, and ask creators like Brian Bendis, Marguerite Bennett, Kieran Gillen, a whole bunch of others, what is your favorite Chris Claremont X-Men story that's not necessarily like Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, like something a little more obscure? So that was kind of cool, and it gives you guys, if you have not read those, a bunch of single issues to check out. On the video game side of things, Disney Infinity is coming fast. We released, I don't know, like 8 to 10 video trailers last week for the Avengers playset. Uh, John Vignocci talked to Matt Cabral first about the Avengers playset and then this week about the Spider-Man playset. And then this week, 
We have got all sorts of Spider-Man videos coming. We've got a big announcement on Wednesday that um, may get moved, so I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, I'll talk to you about when we're not recording. Um, but hopefully by the time this airs, it should be up there. Outside of Disney Infinity, over at Lego Marvel, they just got nominated for a Golden Joystick Award for Best Multiplayer Game. So go and vote for them on that. And then Spider-Man Unlimited is starting to ramp up. Revealed flip, some flip. more, yeah, some more new costumes. Uh, ben Riley, Scarlet Spider is in the game. Um, I got a whole list of all the reveals through November. There is some crazy characters you would not expect to be in there. Uh, not just Spider-Man. Spider characters of, mm. of all sorts. And we will be sticking close to that. We got some more. Uh, the game The game is live now. Oh, so is it? Well, not as of you and me talking oh. now, but <laughs> like I will put it on tomorrow, my tablet. Tomorrow, tomorrow it is live. My Galaxy Tab S provided yes. by Samsung. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so it's going live tomorrow, Wednesday, and if this goes up Thursday as planned, uh, you guys should be able to play Spider-Man Unlimited. Nice. Uh, what else we got? Uh, this week, uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier came out on Blu-ray and the DVD, uh, as did... Uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1 out on Blu-ray and the DVD. And uh, so guys picked those up. Uh, we had a fun fan event in L.A. I hope it was fun. It actually Ooh. hasn't happened yet yeah. in our time. But by the time you're listening to this, it will most surely be done. And we'll see if... Uh, God, I hope it went well. Yeah, really. <laughs> Boy, ooh. Uh, you guys couldn't see me pulling my collar. Yeah, uh, you did. But I did. Um, yeah, very cool stuff. Uh, what else? Well, I guess we're starting to gear up for New York Comic Con a bit. Oh, so it's, soon. It's, it's, it's creeping. It's creeping. Uh, and, and yeah, in two weeks... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2 launches same day as Disney Infinity comes out. It's going to be a huge day. Uh, yeah, our own Michael Cram came up to me the other day, and he goes, Hey, man, uh, I got something going on the week of the 23rd. Do you think you can give me some love on that? And I go, Michael, do you know what's happening the week of the 23rd? And he goes, what? And I tell him, and he goes, he just, poor Michael. Such a nice <laughs> guy. Just sulked away. <laughs> sulked away. Didn't realize what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, we also have Superhero September mm -hmm. rocking and rolling right now. Uh, deals and specials and stuff from all over the world. Uh, different retailers doing cool things with Marvel stuff. Uh, and um, it should be neat. Check the Marvel Twitter and Facebook uh, as we're posting things throughout every week. Uh, all right. So we're going to kick it over to Strami for some of his news. Big 150th episode, Strami. Don't screw it up. Yeah, you better deliver, kid. Yeah, better have some big stuff. Hello, this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com assistant editor Patrick Cavanaugh. For another thrilling installment of the Strami and the Wolfman show. Kicking things off, Marvel's Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are now available on Blu-ray and DVD. You can pick both up. And uh, actually, we had one fan asking if there was going to be, like, a superset of, like, the two, since, you know, Captain America sort of, like, crosses into S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which, I mean, we're not, or at least I don't, I don't know if there are any plans or, or not. But so uh, there, there isn't one. But, uh, but... You can, like, duct tape the cases together if you want, so then it'll be, like, your own superset. What aisle would we be able to find said duct tape just to make this an efficient purchase? I think it's rude to say we can do that, yet not give the instructions. Because, obviously, this Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
is going to be in the Blu-ray section, and then Marvel's Captain America the Winter Soldier will also be in the Blu-ray section, yet you're not providing us with enough information to actually make this super set. So I don't think we should offer that idea until, uh, until we get all the facts. I apologize to our listeners for uh, including Patrick on these podcasts. So anyway, you can pick them both up uh, at, I don't know, local stores, local Blu-ray stores. And uh, to celebrate both releases, uh, we've got some cool stuff going on for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We were releasing some clips uh, from some different featurettes that are available on the set, as well as a couple of the deleted scenes that you can find on there. And as far as Captain America the Winter Soldier, Patrick has the scoop on some retailer exclusives that are available. Well, you mentioned hop on down to your local Blu-ray store, that mom-and-pop shop that's just packed to the gills with Blu-rays. But in case there isn't a local mom-and-pop Blu-ray store, you can go over to Best Buy. Best Buy is actually offering a, if you get the 3D combo pack, there's a limited edition steel book, so it's a lot heavier. It's not made out of vibranium. It's just made out of steel. So don't, get, don't start whipping it around your apartment unless you want to break it, which would be, why would you even buy it if you're just going to whip it around your apartment? That doesn't make any sense. If you do not, if uh, you don't go to Best Buy, you could also go to Target. At Target, you can get uh, some extra content. There's some special features. There's some unlockables that uh, you can redeem to get a little bit more content. But if you're more of a packaging person and you prefer those cool things to put up on your shelf, if you go to Walmart, you can pick up one of five, or all five, if you're uh, money bags like, I don't know, Scrooge McDuck or something. You can buy all five different, uh, they come with a little like cardboard, cardboard sleeve, an O sleeve, I believe they're called, from the amount of times I had to write that down. But there's one of five featuring Captain America, Winter Soldier, Nick Fury, uh, Black Widow or Falcon. So you can do that. But if you are steering away from physical media altogether, if you prefer the nomadic lifestyle and you don't like being tied down to belongings, then you can also purchase through iTunes a copy on HD Digital and you'll get some more exclusive content that way. So I believe that covers, oh, or you could also just go to your local mom and pop Blu-ray store and not get any of that cool stuff. So clearly you don't want to do that. And uh, we were getting a lot of uh, comments over Twitter earlier this week uh, about the Target exclusive not being available. I've been told that that has been cleared up. So now if you go to Target to get your copy, you will be able to get the exclusive content. Of course, let us know if that is still not the case, and we'll keep on digging into it. And they also sell duct tape. So... I don't know. Again, I don't know what aisle. Strami will get back to us. He'll get back to each and every single one of you personally. You're just going to make this the running joke of, of the podcast, aren't you? Until I forget. Okay. Um, and there's also an HTC offer, isn't there? Why, there is. 
Yes, well, if you've seen Captain America the Winter Soldier, you might remember uh, a pivotal scene involving Nick Fury and Captain America where Nick Fury has to send text messages to Cap uh, with some, some details on what's going on with S.H.I.E.L.D., and there's currently a uh, contest going on where you could win a limited edition Hail, uh, Hail Hydra stamped HTC One, just like the one Nick Fury used. Nick Fury's did not have Hydra, the Hydra logo on there, because he was a good guy. Or was he a bad guy? I don't know. Go see the movie, or go see it again to remind yourself. Hint, he's a good guy. Anyway. You can win one of those phones that Nick Fury was using. Uh, if you head on over to Marvel.com, you'll learn all about how to enter to win one of those HTC Ones. All right. So hopping over into the world of television, uh, starting off with some more Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news. We released the synopses for the first two episodes of the season, which feature... The S.H.I.E.L.D. agents going up against uh, Crusher Creel, who Marvel fans may know as the Absorbing Man in the comics. Tons of guest stars, including Lucy Lawless and uh, Henry Simmons, new cast members like Nick Blood. Uh, tons of awesome stuff. You can check out all the details, including details on a cameo by Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter in the season premiere. They, I really think they should give her her own show. I, I think I think I think we I think I think you might be onto something. There. All right, put that word out there, and if anything comes gonna, of it, I'm gonna call up Jeff Loeb. And yeah, 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 yeah. I'm fairly certain if this happens, we make lots of money. I'll text him on my HTC One. <laughs> Nicely done. So. We also released uh, the first full group shot of the entire team from the upcoming season. Actually, I was just posting that right before we came in here to record this podcast, so you can check that out on Marvel.com right now. And over in the world of Marvel Animation, Patrick's got some updates on this week's Ultimate Spider-Man as well as Avengers Assemble and uh, Hulk. Yeah, well, you'll notice, as I'm sure you're all watching... Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man Web Warriors is that there's a lot of new characters popping up. So make sure you keep looking on Marvel.com because we are planning on giving you guys a brief background of all those new characters who we were introducing. So this past Sunday, we had introduced Agent Venom, and you had been able to see a couple days earlier just a little bit of background information. So that way you're not thinking, who the heck is this? guy or gal who are they you'll have at least a little bit more idea of who these characters are so definitely keep your eyes on marvel.com for that uh this next episode we've got the introduction of cloak and dagger so that's uh we got a clip of spider-man realizing that maybe him and dagger are fighting for the same good you think that they're foes but they might actually be friends. So keep your eyes on Marvel.com because later this week you'll learn a little bit more about Cloak and Dagger if you have no idea what I'm talking about, which would not be surprising. But in other animated series news, we've released the premiere dates of Season 2 of both Marvel's Avengers Assemble and Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash. So for... 
Marvel's Avengers Assemble, you'll be able to tune in to Disney XD on Sunday, September 28th at... 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I was testing Shrami. You got a B plus because you could have been a little bit faster. <laughs> Still, that's passing. And then uh, Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash will premiere October 12th, also Sunday, and that will be at 8 a.m. 9 a.m. I was saying 8 a.m. if you were in Central Time, oh, okay. so that was All a right. good correction of 9 a.m. Eastern Time, which some of you are in. Some of you are in Central. Some of you are probably in... I think there's at least 30 or 40 different time zones. I don't have time to list all of them. But, yes, those are the dates. September 28th, Sunday, for uh, Marvel's Avengers Assemble. And October 12th for Marvel's Hulk and the Agents of Smash. Is the the Hulk premiere an hour? It is an hour long. Because he's, uh, him and all of his buddies, him and the Agents of Smash have stowed away, or uh, took one of the leader's ships and were making their escape when they find out that uh, the leader has actually stowed away on board. But they got bigger fish to fry and a little guy you might remember known as Ronan the Accuser. You might not know who I'm talking about because you might be one of the... I don't know what I'm trying to say right now other than Ronan the Accuser was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Have you seen that movie? Pretty good movie. Pretty popular in the, this country. In the good old US of A. Alright, and that's wrapping things up for this week in the Stromy and the Wolfman show. Uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, I apologize for making you listen to all of that. Uh, wish you all a splendiferous weekend, a splendiferous-er week. And we will be back with you in seven more days, assuming after this you are coming back. All right. See you later. All right. Uh, Thank you, Strami. Now we're going to do a little bit of a change before we get into talking about our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club selection of Squadron Supreme, which we will do with Tom Brevoort. Mm -hmm. We are going to get to your questions and comments uh, just because it's easier and we're recording with Tom later. But I think when we talk about the stuff here, we'll still get into the story a bit and maybe it'll bring up some stuff for us to discuss further with Tom when we get to it. Yeah, I mean, we can talk quick just our thoughts because I think by the time we get to Tom probably he'll do most of the talk we'll talk a little more but I mean um, I've, I, it's funny I didn't read Squadron Supreme like as a kid or anything like that no. I read it definitely like when I was in college or something but I think this is one of the stories I've reread more than any other like it just really spoke to me um, what, have you read this before? Uh huh. I okay. read it I think twice before yeah so I don't know man I love it I Part of the fun for me the first time I did was obviously trying to figure out, like, which character corresponds to which character yeah. as far as the Justice League and stuff like that. But beyond that, like, once you get beyond that, you're like, oh, holy crap, this is a this is a really intense saga. And one of the things I really came to appreciate this time, this rereading, was how it's 12 issues long, and each issue is a different month. So they're going in real time. Like, they say the, the whole premise of the series is they're going to try to fix the world in a year. So when you start a new issue, like, a month has passed since the previous issue. Yeah. And I really got into this. I mean, that's way, like, even though it works as a larger story and there's subplots going on and there's character relationships developing um, and there's, like, big, big 
ethical, moral stuff going on. Each issue has like a huge adventure in it, and that's one of the things I was waiting for. I was like, oh, are we almost to the Tom Thumb issue, or are we to the one where where Doctor Spectrum does that thing, or you know, the the Golden Archer issue, which is like horrible. But like, there's like every one of them stands out. Like everyone gets a little spotlight, and every character gets some cool stuff. Or get to the Hyperion like kind of two parter. It's it's crazy, and these characters are awesome. Mark Grunewald was a freaking genius. We were talking about before we went on the air that he was just like, in terms of ideas, yeah. he just, his concepts were incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. We'll talk more about Yeah, I love how it also, it it sets you off and running. Oh, You're yeah. like, he, this is where the world is, this is what's happened, and you, you learn about these characters who you have really no idea about most, I can't think of most people wouldn't really know much of anything about these characters. No. And you're just rolling in like, oh, the state of the world is this, and they, you know, and they're enemies and all this other stuff, and they, they built this giant tapestry mm-hmm. uh, right from the bat. And it's yeah. And they do a good job of, like, filling you in. Like, yeah, the yeah, flashbacks 100%. and stuff. Like, this is, this is what happened. And, yeah. you know, sometimes... I did, like, you know, sometimes in issues, like, you get to, like, issue 11, and, like, Nighthawk will recap, like, everything that's happened in the first 10 issues, but it doesn't feel, like, he does it in such a way that they have a different person doing it every issue, yeah. so you get different voices, and it's good. It, it's really good. Um, I'm anxious to see what other people thought of it. Yeah. Because I feel like this is an underappreciated kind of classic. Everyone knows it's good, but not everyone's read it. Correct. Especially in recent years. Yeah. All right. Jumping in, we've got DJ Fanko says, I missed the last two of URC, but I'll admit I don't know much about Squadron Supreme. Mm. And he says, I can almost mm. feel the musty newsprint as I read issues on uh, Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. Well, hope you dug it, Don. Um, yeah, let us know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Gabe Infinity Watch says, uh, Oh, <laughs> this is a holdover from one of our last ones. What issue or series did Drax change from huge, muscly dummy oh, in a cape? To the current version, uh, that is the Drax limited series by Keith Giffen and Mitch Brightwater. Mitch Brightwater, yeah. yeah. Just look it up. Just, I think it's the only series he's ever. It's had. super solid too. Yeah, it's uh, that's great, fun. That's almost book. one I wanted. And to it's do. a prelude to Annihilation, essentially. It is. It's leads. I think that leads to Thanos, leads to Annihilation, or the reverse. Like but I don't know. It's really good. Yeah. All right, Penelope Cat. I've been meaning to make time to read Squadron Supreme. Glad it's this week's Twim URC pick to help motivate me. And of course, as always, Penelope Cat goes issue by issue. Issue one, is it explained anywhere that this is a parallel world to the Marvel Universe? Aren't the Defenders part of the backstory? I think they do a pretty good job of that in the first issue, I thought, where they're saying, like, what led them to this point, and they're explaining that we teamed up with the Avengers and the Defenders, but they're from another world of ours. I don't know. If that wasn't clear, then yes, they are definitely on a parallel world. Yeah. Um, I remember a review at the time criticizing Bob Hall's art for being boring. I think he gives everyone a distinct look. I agree. Yeah. And, uh... It's super solid superhero yeah. art. It's not, like... It, it reminds me of almost of, like, Mike Zek on Secret Wars. In the sense, like, it got the job done. And he was drawing a ton of characters. Yeah. So much stuff was going on that, yeah. It There's was, a lot of storytelling that yeah. needs to get done in those panels. Yeah, and he conveyed it all. Yeah. Uh, in some places, the backgrounds are so sparse, the art looked like it was inked by Vince Coletta. Mm. Not, not cool taking a shot at Vince Coletta, but we'll continue. Uh, two issues in, and I'm thinking about how Squadron Supreme is so often treated like an inferior Watchmen, even though it came first. Uh, both Squadron Supreme and Watchmen take realistic looks at how the world might be if superheroes didn't just follow superhero tropes. Um, yeah, Squadron Supreme has been compared to Watchmen. It's been compared to Marvels. It's been compared to Kingdom Come. 
a lot of people note that they're influenced. Watchmen, I don't think, I think it was coming out like literally around the same time. So I don't think, I think that was more just a same headspace type of thing. But, you know, in this collection, I have like Mark Wade and Alex Ross both talk about how Kingdom Come existed in, in part because of Squadron Supreme. Mm-hmm. Like Alex Ross said, he hadn't read Squadron Supreme when he started. And then when someone pointed it out to him, he read it and that totally affected how he did it. But yeah, it's a look at how. Like, what would happen if superheroes were really around? And it is kind of like Watchmen that thing. I don't think it's an inferior take. I think it's just different. Yeah, it's, it's not trying to yeah. be the same. It's And it's know. also, the thing about this is, unlike some of the other ones, like, this is very superhero-y, yeah. for lack of a better term, because that's what Mark Grunewald loved. Like, it's not, like, you know, street-level anything. Like, these are big, colorful, powerful characters. So that, I think that makes it different in one way. Uh... Oh, more on this. Overall, though, well, Watchmen w- may be more realistic, Squadron Stream feels more subversive because it's very much a Marvel comic. Yeah, yeah kind of what I just said. Thank you, Kellen. Yeah. Uh, the more extreme actions the characters take feel shocking because otherwise it just looks like an mm-hmm. issue of Avengers. Absolutely. Watchmen's style screams or quietly whispers, this is something different. Squadron's subversive elements creep up on you, definitely. And it definitely sticks with a little more of it. Oh, yeah. Loved Master Menace in issue seven. Now, Nighthawk, how did you... Okay, hold on. Just a sec. Can you hear me now? I don't mm. even know what that's a reference. I that's great. Issue seven, I missed a crossover issue with Captain America, didn't I? Poop. What? None of my Twim URC comments from the first half of Clarence Supreme are showing up. I searched that tag. Poop again. Uh, hopefully, we got all of them. Yeah. There is a crossover issue with Captain America. It's in the trade. I was like... When I was thinking about this, I was like, we have 12 issues. They do a nice job recapping the cap issue. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was yeah. lost. I was like, okay. It's I, cool. You guys can track it down if you want to read it. It's, it's a solid issue, but it's I don't think it's totally necessary. Mark was writing cap at the time. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it crowds right over. I do like how Captain America on the, this cover I have is Alex Ross covers like there. Way in the background. Oh, Snuck yeah. him in there. Just hey, let you know. Guy. He's in the story. What you doing? Yeah, he has something. Something to do with it. But yeah, you you can look it up. Uh, hold on. I'll tell you the number right now while Ryan reads the next comment. Uh, yes. All right. So uh, we're going to have a million and a half pages of tweets from oh, Tech Lord. Yeah. Uh, because just likes to use photos and all the posts. Just um, fun for you guys following on Twitter, but for us reading it, it, it gets a little. So I had to cut nightmare. Tech Lord. I had to cut yeah. down some of them just because yeah. it didn't make sense. Uh, also, just before we get into that, uh, Captain America number three fourteen. If you guys want to read it from the original Captain America volume from nineteen sixty eight. Very good. Uh, all right. So Tech Lord says Stanley presents Squadron Supreme. We start off seeing that Hyperion thinks a domino mask is effective. Well, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I mean, you know. It's, is it any different than that, a pair of glasses? Yeah, or anyone else who wears a domino mask? Yeah. I don't know. I did like that at the beginning, like, they all get new costumes as of, like, the end of the first issue that don't have masks in them. Yeah. And in flashbacks throughout, or if you look very closely at their torn costume at the beginning, you can see what their old masked costumes looked like. Mm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Squadron Supreme reminds me of when Stanley did Just Imagine at Distinguished Competition and reinvented their big names. Mm. I don't remember that too much. Uh, yeah, I remember it. It was it was kind of cool. It was a neat idea, but that was Stanley really like just take he literally just took like a name of a character and he's like, if I heard this name, this is what I would do. Mm. So, a little different. Yeah, no, not this so is much a, an homage. Yeah, or whatever this is. Uh, Lex says, glowing golden towbar on this green towbar refers to the color of the. I don't know what that is. It's, it's again, it's, it's a, a picture. Thing. We don't have the picture it's here. It's a Doctor Spectrum thing. Ah. 
Um, and he says, I get that it's a ripoff homage to the distinguished competition, but don't read that I that. So I needed the hints. So he's saying yeah. that uh, needed some of the help because he yeah. doesn't read. If DC you don't books. get it, yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Sure. If These you, are archetypes, yeah. really. If you do read it, it's kind of neat for a little while. Like I said, when I first started that, was cool. I was, cool. I was like, oh, cool. Blue Eagle and Golden Archer don't get along. Yeah. Just like some of them. And, and seeing like the extreme some of them go to, that is part of the fun, is being like, um, like for instance, like, you know, I'll just use the DC character names, like, like Hawkman and Green Arrow don't like each other, but they would never like take it to the extreme yeah. blue eagle ends up taking it to with golden archer or even oh like, man or even like you know dr spectrum being like you know green lantern's kind of a jerk like dr spectrum he's he's kind of a jerk like yeah. especially when he's dealing with nuke and all that stuff and the way they all treat tom thumb they're such a, oh, yeah like yeah. they're human yeah they're human and it's crazy um, he says, you sneaky sons of fishes. What a great, great line. line. Great line. Uh, such a cavalier attitude. Oh, no. He says, such a caviar attitude. They didn't tolerate that at my school. Get oh. it, sons of fishes. Uh, Hello. Uh, he says, uh, uh, in quotes, how can we say we were under some alien's control? Work for Spider-Man if you leave out alien. Yeah, we don't know if it's worked. Yeah. Uh, also, the other thing about Squadron Supreme, and this, I remember when Busek brought them in for Avengers when he was doing it with George Perez, is almost every appearance they've ever made, they're mind-controlled. Like, every time they show up in the Marvel Universe, they're under someone's control. They even even here, uh, in the Captain America issue, like, Nighthawk recaps their history and knows they've been mind-controlled, like, three or four times. <laughs> it's fantastic. Someone should do something about yeah. that. <laughs> um, he says, uh, talking about the phone that uh, oh, yeah. Hyperion's, like... Uh, I have the only work, or is yeah. it Kyle? Spectrum. I think it's Spectrum. One of them, ha yeah, has yeah. a phone. Is like, I'll have the only working phone. Yes, who would, would you call? call? Exactly. I love that. <laughs> um, it looks like Kyle's phone, and the White House's work just fine. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I don't know who, if this is, maybe he's just tweeting to himself. Yeah. He says, really, Lex, phones are where you can't suspend yeah. disbelief. <laughs> that's great. I, I think like that's it. great. Yeah, good self-awareness. Um, Hyperion looks like he's wearing a wrestling yeah. championship belt or a diaper. Uh, I, I like the championship belt. Yeah, it's pretty big for a championship yeah. belt, though. Uh, uh, Lex loves the word balloons on the cover to issue two. Mm. Um, <laughs> he wants to hear, Lex says, in case it happens, hasn't happened before this tweet, please can we hear some of Agent M's accented readings for uh, the Golden Archer? Hey, how'd your horses, mate? Wait, is he Brit what is it? Where is he from? I can't remember. I think he's Australian, right? I think. Hold your horses, mate. Yeah. Wouldn't be running behind schedule if it weren't for the dengue doctor spectrum. Dang. It doesn't even say that. Oh, I don't even know, man. Yeah. What have you been saying? Uh, so hopefully that worked. Yeah, that was no. great. Well, you know? I think you gave him what he wanted. Yeah. Tons of, of that. Of uh, he says there's an injustice comic that this reminds him of, where this Hyperion wannabe decides to rule the world to save it from himself. Har I think har. Uh, yes. What? <laughs> what are you gonna say? <laughs> I, is that what the story is for that book? Yeah, uh, I think so. Cool. Well, that's the video game, right? I guess it's based on the video game, and that's what the video game plot is. So I assume so. Let's say yes. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> he uses a picture of Doctor Spectrum causing Power Princess's wardrobe malfunction, mm -hmm. and says Super Bowl, whatever. Uh, explained with the Janet Jackson yeah. wardrobe malfunction. Um, man, Barda should have beaten his face in. Yeah. Zarda. 
Zarda. Yeah. Barda. Did I say Barda? You sure did. Yeah, Zarda. Close, I can see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're so busy creating this Utopia. It's like the most DC names we've ever mentioned in a podcast, I know, it's probably. making me feel dirty. It's hard, man. It's Squadron Supreme. Yeah. Uh, they're so busy creating Utopia that they can't see their loved ones unless they play poker all night. I do like uh, Dr. Spectrum's near creepy obsession with poker. Yeah, like that's like, all he I'm wants to play do. Monster. Oh, why are we not having a poker night? And they're yeah. like, even when they get him to do something else, they're like, they're like we're gonna do charades. We got Doctor Spectrum to not do poker now. Like he may have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lex says, why is creating Utopia such a hard task? Even Cyclops pulled that off. Oh yeah, he did a great job. Yeah. See Look how, how that, that turned out. out. Yeah. Uh, he says, I like that the Squadron universe still has Kree and Skrull. Did the power prism ever show up in 616? Yes, there is a different power prism in 616 because we have our own Dr. Spectrum. We do? Yeah, we sure do. We've had a lot of them. It was, yeah, it... it I know we have a wizard. No, yeah, but it was, like, yeah, because it's a speed demon. Um, right. Well, we have multiple wizards. Uh, but, yeah, there was a Dr. Spectrum who, when they when they did the Squadron Sinister, which is the Hyperion in this story comes from the Squadron Sinister. They had a Hyperion. They had a wizard who eventually became a speed demon. And they had a Nighthawk, who eventually became Heroic Nighthawk. And they had a Dr. Spectrum, who was just some random guy who got handed the Power Prism. The Power Prism has, like, gone to other holders. Actually, the Wasp had it at one point in an Avengers annual. So it's just this thing that's out there, but the deal is it's evil, and it kind of takes you over. Whoa. So it's like an evil wing. Hmm. We, we came up with that, too. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I, I, the, I, the only, my only regret is that they don't have more of the Skrull character in this because they did a one-shot. Well, I was going to get to that after. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, and then it says, he has a picture of uh, Remnant. He's, he says, is yeah. Remnant related to Quentin Quire? Sure looks like it. Yeah. Can he some be? Pink hair and everything. Yeah, that, that same sort of facial structure, too. Mm. Love it. Uh, and this one I didn't like. Yeah. Rex says, most anticlimactic say death scene ever, Tom Thumb? Well... I, you you miss the point there, a hundred percent. Like, it's it's a lot of it's such a somber, sad moment to me. That panel that's just black with yep. white text, saying like you know. This this guy who's done so much, yeah, just passed away. Basically, he doesn't die on on panel. He yeah. died. There's a panel with just words explaining yeah. what, what happened. Do you need to see someone dying yeah. of cancer, take their last breath? Yeah. Like I it, I. Yeah, that one hit me. It's interesting, um, in the afterword of the trade collection they had, Ralph Macchio, who edited the book, was talking all about different stuff, and one of the things he points out is the Tom Thumb issue. Grumwald came to him with the idea. He said, I'm going to have this whole issue of Tom Thumb trying to save his own life, and then he doesn't, but then there's just going to be a text panel saying he died. And Ralph thought it was a bad idea. He was like, I don't think... He's like, you're trying to build sympathy for Tom Thumb, and I think if you don't show him dying, you're not going to have the proper amount of sympathy. And Mark just goes, just, just wait. And he does it, and he does it, and he goes, you know what? I get it now, because the whole story was building sympathy. Oh, my like, God. By the yeah. time that comes, it hurts you more because you don't get to see him die. Like, you get cheated of that. You, like, you don't know what happened to him. Yeah. So uh, I think it was really effective. Yeah. And, Outside the box choice, it was really cool. And, and Tom's whole arc throughout the book, I mean, mm -hmm. it was just, that was a great character. The funny thing about Tom Thumb is he gets so much time that, you know, I, I he dies earlier than I thought. Mm. I thought he was in it longer. He's like six he or seven, in. right? Yeah, he dies in, uh, no, he dies in issue number, yeah, number nine. Oh, nine. Mix it to number nine, but I thought he made it even further. Uh. But, uh. 
Yeah, it's hard to ride. Yeah, I guess he makes it through the Hyperion fight and everything. But I mean, then he goes. They're all so mean to him. They're and then after the death, they're all like, oh, he was such a genius. We loved him so much. Yeah. Like, ah, and poor jerks. Apex. Poor Apex. Oh, man. It's hard. I mean, that's another thing with this. It's hard to, with the villains, it's hard to know how to feel for them because it's like, oh, they became such sympathetic characters. But wait, is that really them? Yeah. Because, like, I'm like, oh, I love the shape. He's such a good guy, but he's so messed up. And, like, Foxfire, like, you don't know where, like, would this have happened if she hadn't had the, it's a lot of stuff. There's yeah. so much to talk about with this. Yeah. Uh, so, continuing on, Lex says, Thanks to Specs Machine and Foxfire, we can see awkward pillow talk isn't only in the 616 nor 1280. Is 1280 the uh, designation that someone came up Once with? Once you start getting into these numbers, you know I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I he goes, The 7112 is very interesting. I think that's this one, I thought. I think 7112 is Squadron Supreme. Mm. No, wait. He oh. says, I looked, the num looked up the number on Wikipedia and see there's a follow up comic, Supreme Power. Oh. What's that? 712, well, Supreme Power is a different version of the Squadron yeah. Supreme that came years later that is J. Michael Straczynski and Gary Frank. Gary Frank. And it was a Max book. Max and book it was at first. Crazy. Yeah. And then it became Marvel Knights book. And yeah. It became Squadron Supreme. I, I'll, I'll, we'll get to that at the okay. after. But, um, and he says Arcana spells magics with a K. I'm convinced Mark Grunwald or Ralph Macchio knew some real life Wicca. From what I've read of Mark Grunwald, that seems like a Grunwald. <laughs> Uh, Lex says, the series has a surprisingly high body count. We lost another few members after Tom. It's not, I, I didn't find it surprising. I felt that that fit the yep. the tone of the series. Again, I know it says a few times, but going back to, again, the afterword with uh, Macchio, that he talks about how Mark came in saying, like, I'm going to kill all these characters. And Ralph was like, eh, I don't really like killing characters. You can always use them later. He goes, no, trust me, the story needs this. Because the whole point of this story is to show real consequences of what would happen. And if this happened with beings this powerful, and that's kind of what Nighthawk gets into at the end. The whole His whole rationale is your, everything you've set up requires you, which is beings this good and this powerful. Yeah. Um, he said, if, if beings this powerful were doing this sort of stuff, people would die. Like, a lot of people would die. And he goes, you need that for the stakes. But that last page where they're just, like, listing off the casualties just in that last issue heavy yes um who asked this question infinity watcher asks is uh to lex is it worth the read the 12 issues kind of turned me off found it hard to fit mm -hmm. into my reading schedule and lex says i've been enjoying it but it's really two six issue twin urcs certainly certainly glad i fit it in well i'm yes. glad you enjoyed it yes. very good uh lex says ironically not being a super alien also makes hyperion less of a super man mm -hmm. yeah Last one from Lexi says, So the Squadron Supreme ends with a high body count and the nation about to plunge back into despair. Real feel-good story, huh? Again, We didn't promise you that. But that, And that's not that's not the point of the story at all. At I mean, all. you know, not all superhero stories no. are feel-good. Especially when you're looking at something that deals with these, with a real life, uh, with real stakes and consequences and set in this yeah. world where, you know what, let's tell the story the way... We want to tell it, not worrying about well, what's going to happen in issue thirteen. Yeah, this is just this is what happens. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, even though you know we we've since told stories with serious impacts like Civil War and stuff in the Marvel universe, this is very much this kind of is a story you couldn't do in the main Marvel universe yeah. because it's basically we're going to tell this story and then just leave it, and it would be picked up. Yes. Um, yeah. There so would be more. Uh, if you guys have read this, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk to Tom about this too. Uh, there's a um, the end of the universe, death one of the death, death of a universe, universe one shot, which is written by Mark Grunwald, mm -hmm. and uh, 
picks up after this, and it's yep. it's um I think it's a must read. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, oh, hold on, we have a note coming under the door. Uh oh. Somebody booked the room. No, so uh, Jason needs equipment. We sure can, Jason. I don't. Okay. Um, is he, does he need to get in right now? No. Yeah, you find that. Uh, so we have Death of a Universe, you know, which is terrific. Uh, it was a, a original graphic novel. Um, and so I definitely highly suggest you read that. It is on Marvel Unlimited. There's also, there's another one, uh, New World Order, which is not set in the same universe, I think. It it's, is. It is? What happens is you have Death of a Universe, and at the end of Death of a Universe, they get basically transported to the Marvel Universe. And they spent, like, years in the Marvel Universe where they, uh, they're in Quasar for a while. They were, like, the supporting cast of Quasar. Huh. Uh, they had what I was talking about earlier, that, that uh, guest stint in Avengers, uh, Busick and Stern's Avengers, like, the second arc. Squadron Supreme shows up, and uh, Hawkeye makes fun of them for always being mind-controlled. It's kind of cool, because it's, it's, I think that was what prompted me to read Squadron Supreme the first time. I was like, who are these characters? And then that actually leads directly into New World Order, where oh. they go back to their world, They've been gone for years. Uh, Mike McCone drew it. Yeah. Um, I want to say Busick wrote it. But no. I'm not sure. I, I don't it think it was someone else. I think it's someone else. Yeah, I think it's someone I know McCone drew it. Um, basically, the Squadron Supreme goes back, and all this stuff has happened, and uh, there's a new Nighthawk, and there's stuff with the new Blue Eagle, and Amphibian comes back. Uh, and then my favorite, the Skrullian Skymaster comes yeah. back. That's the Skrull character. And I, I don't remember that this story as well as uh, Death of a Universe. I, after I read Squadron Supreme, I was still in college, and I went out and got, like, every Squadron Supreme thing I could get, which is actually relatively easy yeah. because there's not that much. I didn't read any of the stuff before this, but I read, like, everything that came after because I want to know what happened with these characters. Yeah. Um, and New World Order was, was kind of weird. It was kind of out there. It was, it, was, it was around the time that I think there was a trend in Marvel to do these one-shots to kind of, like, wrap up lingering hmm. stories or universes because around the same time, I remember also picking up the 2099 Manifest Destiny one-shot where they basically, like, did all the loose ends of the 2099 stuff. Interesting. Um, and they were, like, the same format and everything. But, yeah, and then, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that was really the last appearance of the Squadron Supreme, this Squadron Supreme. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then if you guys want to read more, like with versions of these characters. Uh, what we talked about a little bit earlier was Supreme Power, mm -hmm. which was a Marvel Max, which means, you know, R-rated. Oh, yeah. Uh, reboot for, you know, like a, just taking the concepts of the characters and the names and putting a spin on it. And JMS uh, wrote it and Gary Frank drew it. And um, there's, there's nudity, there's cursing, there's extreme violence. Oh, yeah. Like, makes this look tame yeah. this was not tame <laughs> no um it's it's not on marvel unlimited we don't have no. max books on unlimited but uh you i check it out i really liked it when i, I liked, read it the I first time uh i haven't i don't remember it and it then it, it sort of went in a couple different directions it, yeah. supreme power itself kept going and then it turned into um it relaunched the squadron supreme. yeah it relaunched the yeah. squadron supreme not a max book yeah um, there were a few iterations of it from there. Yeah. But that's like the most recent Squadron Supreme stuff, but it's different than this Squadron Supreme stuff. The only time they have shared panel time with trivia was in that Ultimate Power crossover, that Ultimate Power 
thing where the Ultimate Universe crossed over with the Supreme Power Universe, and then they brought in the original Squadron Supreme midway through. I don't remember that. Oh, it's so crazy. It's like, I was reading it, and I'm just like, what? Because you had, like, both versions of every character plus all the ultimate characters. It Didn't they destroy crazy. one of the universes? One of the planets? Something, like, terrible happened to um, something. They decimated the Supreme Power universe pretty bad, but it was still around. They left Nick Fury there to try to, fix, while, to, try yeah, to fix it. But, uh, yeah. Oh, man, great. now I want to read Ultimate Power again you just should, to, to see where, like... I gotta oh, read all this. It was so random. It was just because it was just like, they're fighting, they're fighting, then out of nowhere, they're like, wait, who are these people? And then you see like old school Hyperion and all the characters, and it's like they're, I think they're even in their uh, pre this costumes. So like they're uh, like, you know, they've got masks and everything. It's crazy. Huh. It's wild. Wow. Well, there you go. Plenty more to explore, and we've got more. I yeah. Take a little break. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll be back with Mr. Tom Brevoort to talk uh, about the book from his perspective yeah all right and we are back with mr tom brevoir tom hello hello uh so we're talking squadron supreme we had a very spirited discussion about it having read it and the fans seem to dig it but uh we thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on it yeah well the reason actually is because when we were deciding to read squadron Supreme, it was because i saw i don't remember it was on your twitter your forum or something a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. you you sent out like the first page, I think it was the last page of the first issue, and the last page of the last issue, just a demonstration of like this is a good right, right. open and shut story. Let's that go would, wait that open would have been for uh, for uh, M Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Mark Grewald. Yeah, yeah, of course. I didn't realize that we were coming. All right, yeah, so. It was just resigned. So yeah, I don't know. It, it prompted me. Squadron Supreme is one of my one of my favorite stories. I was saying this earlier today. I have reread it probably more times than I've read a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, where where does it stand for you? When and and also the other thing we know is like we didn't read it until a few years ago. I only read it well, within read the last it, decade. I mean, I read it as it came out. Yeah. So I read it as an actual reader. Yeah. Um, so. You because know, nowadays we have previews and like all like we're inundated with before a book comes out. What was, like, how did you know... Well, I guess the characters were established for a while and everything like that. The characters like that. were established yeah. and shown up in other places, Avengers and Defenders and so forth. Right. But even within that, this was 1984, so while there wasn't an internet, uh, it also wasn't so primitive right. in terms of there being a direct market. Um, you know, there were there was Amazing Heroes, and there was the Comics Journal, and the Comics Reader, and... You know, there are places where you could get news and information about stuff that was coming up. So you had some sense of it. I mean, even Marvel Age and mm-hmm. bullpen pages and oh, so forth yeah. would give you some sort of indication that a thing was happening. Um, and Squadron, when it was coming out, uh, you know, very quickly, like within an issue or two, uh, everybody was sort of taking notice of it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, and they were all taking notice of it essentially because it was, you know, effectively Marvel publishing a book about yeah. a bunch of characters that somebody else <laughs> typically yeah. publishes. Well, um, that's the immediate draw. That's what I said earlier. I was like, when I first started reading, I'm like, oh, I just want to see, you know, this version of this guy and what he's going to do here. But then it, that was, I don't know, I don't know if that was like the subversiveness of. Grunewald or even knew what he was doing, that that was like what grabs your attention right off the bat, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't what stayed with you. Well, Mark, uh, you know, Mark was an enormous DC fan. Technically, he was a bigger DC fan, really, 
than he was a Marvel fan. As a, as a young guy and as a reader, that was the stuff that he started out reading. Uh, and in fact, if you go, you know, if you go to my, uh, my uh, little page on YouTube, I only have like two or three videos up, mm. but they were all for the Mark celebration. Mm -hmm. There's one video that's like uh, that uh, Mark's wife had made for his memorial. That's like his life in photos. And you can see cool. these photos, old black and white pictures, uh, where he has gotten like a dozen kids in his uh, Midwest neighborhood, and they're all dressed up as different members <laughs> of like the 1962 Justice League. Oh. So it's not just like it's a kid playing Superman and a kid yeah. playing Batman. You know, there's a Green Arrow. <laughs> there's a Martian Manhunter. It's you know, it, they're like it's like a little mob of 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 child cosplayers. Yeah. In an era where that didn't happen, <laughs> you know, there's there's their photos and they go by pretty quick because it's a montage, but yeah. you can stop and look at them. Where they're restaging covers, like oh, they're yeah. they're <laughs> they're all set up, uh, and that was that was all Mark. Clearly. Yeah, 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 yeah. He talked. You know, uh, a bunch of kids in his neighborhood into doing this, and he talked somebody into making the the costumes, and you know, he clearly was the ringleader of this. So Mark, you know, was a big DC fan. He would talk about those characters a lot, and he didn't get to play with any of the real DC characters uh, all that much. A little right. bit towards the end, yeah, uh, when they did Marvel versus DC. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you know, he had a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas and things, and certainly. He had a lot of thoughts and ideas about the Marvel Universe and how that worked as well. He kind of codified a lot of that in doing the handbook. So doing Squadron Supreme was a chance to get some of that stuff out and to maybe deal with or treat uh, those characters or characters similar to those characters in a way that you couldn't uh, do in an ongoing mm -hmm. book. You know, Additionally, at the time Squadron was coming out, the Justice League book had just transitioned over to being the Justice League of Detroit. Oh, so uh, you good know, timing. it was it was uh, it was a good time yeah. <laughs> doing a, a Squadron Supreme book with mm -hmm. all of the A-listers yeah. because you know the best guys that you had in the actual Justice League book at that point were Aquaman and yeah. the Elongated Man and Zatanna in a weird costume. You know, like. The, the, those were the mainstays. <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know, so there was that as well. Yeah. So, as you're reading Squadron Supreme, right off the bat, you know, you, you've got the DC stuff. But I guess when did it, when did it shift, both for for you and for everyone else, so they realized that okay, this is more than just a Justice League send off. This is actually a pretty, this is a pretty important story. I guess I also want to know if people like it. It's 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 lauded as being so influential later on for, you know, stories like Kingdom Come and Marvels right. and whatnot. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's influential, yeah. but it's more like it's the vanguard of those right. stories. You know, there was a lot of thought somehow. Something was in the zeitgeist yeah, 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 yeah. in the 1980s, you know, uh, where people started talking about these characters and thinking about, uh, you know, that, that eternal question, how would they really be if mm -hmm. they really existed in the real world? Uh, and that's very much been... You know the the stock and trade of Alan Moore and all mm -hmm. the things that he did during that period. You know, bringing that sort of sensibility and a bunch of other people as well. Um, and uh, you know, at least among uh, you know larger projects, you know, Mark kind of got to it first. Yeah. 
uh, and that you know his handling on this was very much uh, you know uh, came from the the core idea of okay if a bunch of superheroes sat down and decided they were going to fix the world how would they do it and what problems would that they face and what problems would that cause and how would this all kind of play out um, and that's the story he did. If you look at that story, there's one real genuine fight scene in it, mm-hmm. over 12 issues. Yeah. Only one. And in that fight scene, like, a dozen characters yeah. get killed. It's brutal. Um, so it's a very, just on that level, it's sort of uh, a slightly more realistic take. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily gory, but it's, you know, if you're using superpowers against one another, pretty much one shot is enough to finish anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's you know even on that level it's it's that sort of a world and he was as much interested in you know working out the ideas of okay well if you've got these powers and this background and this technology and this whatever how do you how do you do it how do you implement this uh, and what are the what are the moral ramifications of 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 dealing with this and how do different characters respond and react mm-hmm. to that and that really is the whole story of Squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, that on the one hand, you know, it's got its pastiche elements, but we wouldn't really be talking about it this far, you know, after the fact. Oh yeah. If it wasn't a story unto itself, and again, yeah. a story in which literally every character is potentially expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's no need, uh, you know, there's no driving uh, uh, import to keep any of these characters intact. Right. Um, so along the way, they can get breaking and. And uh, broken and dinged and uh, changed and switch sides and do awful things and mm-hmm. you know anything can happen in the context of it and that even among the Marvel books of that period that was sort of a refreshing thing because uh, you know there are certain truisms if you're reading an issue of Captain America even one that Mark wrote uh, chances are Cap ultimately is going to be fine right. even if he's momentarily not fine by whatever circumstance there happens to be. Right. Uh, you know, here you had a, a, a setup in a world that was uh, familiar, but you know t- you could do literally anything too, and there wouldn't be consequences because you wouldn't be publishing a book the following month. Yeah. Was I? I guess uh, the other thing I was trying to get at is just like, did people realize at the time it was coming out that this is something that was going to stand the test of time, or was this just another? I don't, I don't know that it's about standing the test of time. Like yeah. you say, it, 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 it got a bunch of notoriety mm-hmm. at the time, partly just because of what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, typically, you know, the typical comment of that era was, you know, the best Justice League book is being put mm-hmm. out by Marvel, this That's sort of thing. Cool. So the story resonated with people. Um, you know, they didn't always necessarily know how to articulate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, I don't think anybody was really thinking about stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was the the '80s. There there were trade paperbacks, but they were few sure. and far between. If you weren't, you know, Origins of Marvel Comics or something, yeah. you know, there, there was no ongoing thing. There were books that you remembered. There were legendary runs. Roy Thomas and Neil Adams once a million years ago at the dawn of time working <laughs> on the X Men, and here's a panel in an issue of Amazing Heroes, and you yeah. never get to read that comic. But yeah. Here's a panel, and it was really good. You know, I don't know that anybody was actively, uh, you know, at least in general, thinking about that sort of, it will stand the test of time. 
You know, it was just being reacted to as, oh, this is good, this is interesting, this is better. I wish, I wish DC would do this with their characters, yeah. and you know, without even really, you know, uh, uh, analyzing the fact that DC can't do that with their characters yeah. any more than Marvel could do that with the mainstay characters. You know, yeah. it's the very fact that they're, you know, off to the side and effectively disposable. The whole world is disposable. Mm-hmm. That allows you to, to riff on that kind of a level. Yeah. Um, but again, it's very much the sort of thinking that went into stuff like Watchmen and later on Kingdom Come mm-hmm. and you know all sorts of other projects. Yeah. You know, not the same aesthetic by any means, but the same kind of uh, you know if you had superheroes in a more real world context uh, and were and they were doing this sort of thing, how would they behave? What would be the ramifications? Yeah. Uh, you know, how would this all play out? For you, what was your your reaction to it as a fan, and then how did that did that change at all as you got more involved in the business, you know, in making comics and stuff like um, that? I don't know that it changed at all. I, I liked it when it was coming out. Uh, I actually wrote a big article on Squadron Supreme and the history of the Squadron Supreme for for one fanzine or another that nice. I was dealing with at the time. Let's uh, dig that up. Know, going all the way back to like. You know, the earliest squadron yeah. appearances in Avengers and so forth, yeah. and full panels. And, you know, yeah. typically, uh, you know, focusing on, uh, you know, the, the powers, the pastiche element. This is this and this is that. And, you know, here we learn this and here we've added in these characters and here this thing has happened. Um, yeah, but I, I liked it while it was coming out. Um, you know, I can look back at it and, you know, I still enjoy it, but, the, uh, you know, it's very much a product of its time. For sure, yeah. Um, I think the wordiest page <laughs> that Mark Grunewald, who was typically a pretty wordy writer, yeah, ever sure. wrote is in Squadron. And it's a page that I pull out and I point to a lot as I'm showing people this stuff because I th- there are more words on this single page than in full issues of Marvel Comics <laughs> that we put out today. There are so many words that the art, literally it's like two characters, yeah. and the characters are growing further apart in each panel exactly and getting smaller and smaller. Like, literally the whole... And what it is, is it's, it's a character, you know, explaining a decision process yep. and a point of view, but it's really like Mark... You know, running you through his thought process. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a thing that he did years later when he was writing Quasar. Uh, he wrote up as a guide to other people uh, handling Quasar and other books. Here is what Quasar does. Here is Quasar's approach when he encounters something out in outer space that's unknown, an unknown spaceship or object or whatever. And Mark had quantified it. How? What would you do? How would you do it? And it was a very well thought through list. It was a list that pretty much meant that you could have no stories. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's it, it was the sort of thing that I don't know that was already written. It's no. like literally Quasar had thought this through oh, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark had thought this through enough to prevent a story from breaking oh. out. <laughs> you know, if I find an unknown thing out in space, the first thing I do is I encase it in a quantum bubble mm-hmm. to contain it while I analyze it. And then I try these methods of communication and analysis, and I try this, and I do this, and if I don't get this, then I put it here, I throw it there to this uninhabited place, or I do this. Like everything, you know, Mark had read a lot of not just comics, but other fiction, yeah. and he thought, oh, this is a guy who's good at what he does, and who has thought this stuff through, he's not going to make any of the stupid mistakes that you, mis- you, would, you would make, he's going to do everything very legitimately and very by the book, and like, you know... 
if, if you follow these rules, every episode of Star Trek would be, you know, your spaceship flying around and having absolutely nothing interesting happen to it because you follow the protocols and nothing, nothing bad will happen. Hmm. Uh, and that's, that's sort of the double-edged sword of taking the stuff too far that... Uh, you know, the reality is, you know, it's the drama of the situations that provide their interest. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, if you stare at any of these things, they don't really make sense. You know, the Marvel Universe is the world outside our window, despite the fact that Reed Richards discovered unstable molecules, yeah. you know, 15 years ago. That's enormous. Forget about just the simple applications of nobody ever needs to buy a pair of clothes again. <laughs> You know, the, 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 the ramifications of just that thing. He didn't invent them. He discovered them. They yeah, exist. They're out there. He figured out how to use them, which means that, A, somebody else would have, and, B, they probably would use them for more than just making superhero suits. Mm. Uh, like, the entire world would be different just from that. You know, if you imagine, you know, the invention of whatever, the iPhone, <laughs> everything is different now than it was 10 years ago. It's that... That uh, graphic that you see pop up on Twitter and Facebook all the time of here's all the gadgets ten years ago <laughs> and here's your phone that does all that stuff now, yeah. you know even the simplest things in a superhero context do that. Yeah. Tony Stark has a suit of armor, um, you know that has boot jets built into it through which he can fly without refueling. You know, at least nationwide in no time at all, with no apparent pollutants, no real need to recharge other than solar battery and whatever else is in the arc reactor. Like, you want a clean energy source, it's, you know, forget about fighting yeah, bad guys. Like, you, you just cracked the craziest stuff in the world, the most difficult stuff in the world. And yet, you haven't because you don't want everybody to have a suit of armor. It's fun sometimes to do that as a what if. Yeah. But, you know, the, again, those fans who ask, why doesn't Iron Man, like, make a suit of armor for everybody? Well, on the one level, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> on the other level, the real reason is it's not terribly dramatic yeah. if everybody shows up to the gunfight, you know, with, with every possible weapon and contingency yeah. uh, a plan for. Um, you know, and so, so uh, you know, uh, that's the only place that I could look at something like the things that were done in Squadron, yeah. and go, yeah, this worked great for that. Um, you know, also, you know, I know because I, you know, I talked with Mark and I worked with him, and before he passed away, like, he and I had talked, I wanted him to do uh, follow-up to Squadron Supreme. He'd done the, the graphic novel, yep. uh, and he'd had, you know, a, an idea for the, the follow-up, uh, and we had talked about it, and he was going to do it and write up notes, and it never came about, and mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, I, I know like one or two little bits of business, mm-hmm. but I know the overall, I you know, concept of it. And the overall concept of it was basically, you know, by the end of that first Squadron Supreme uh, uh, story, uh, you know, the Squadron had come face to face with the fact that they built a utopian society that only works while there are people as uncorruptible and uh, unblemishable as them running it. And it now needs to be taken apart and taken down. But before they can do that, yeah. they go off in space and fight the Scarlet Centurion, and then they end up getting blasted into the Marvel Universe and so forth. And yeah. so the story that Mark was going to tell was they finally get back, and now it's 
that whole machine it had has been running right. ever since they left in the hands of people who are more corruptible and more all these things that were good have been tilted towards the bad and so now they must combat this dystopian society that is the result of their own uh, work. Is that that's essentially well more or less kind of like what was told in the New World Lore one shot eventually, right? Yeah, did I got, you work on that? Yeah, the couple yeah. of pieces that that we had. Uh, you know, I went to Len Kaminsky, who had mm-hmm. also worked a lot with Mark back in the day, and I said, you know, let's do this. You know, it kind of comes out of we were doing some squadron stuff in Avengers. Yeah, I remember the time. that. You know, I have these pe- these three pieces that I've got from from yeah. Mark. Uh, you know, go off and and do this thing, and you know, it could have been bigger and longer than that, but at least, you know, touching on sure. some of that. I don't know that 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 or any of the actual plot of that right. is what Mark would have done. You know, I know he had a couple of things. I know that that the 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 secret police force, mm-hmm. uh, you know, totalitarian Judge Dredd style guys would have been the Blue Eagles, yeah. named after the dead character. Yeah, you know, yeah. I knew. And like I say, there are just a couple of little bits that he had mentioned and that I remembered. But that, those are bits, not right. not plot, not theme, not character. Yeah. Um, and so what he would have done with it would have been vastly different, I'm sure, than what uh, you know what Len and uh, and myself did. Yeah. One of the, yeah. Before before we kind of wrap up, one of the most interesting things to me about Squadron, and again, we were talking about it before, was as much as you have the DC characters who, at least early on, were very uncorruptible. Um, and you the Marvel characters who were a little step more towards being realistic, you know, a little more mm-hmm. flawed. And then, to me, you almost had the Squadron characters. We were talking about this morning were like, they were even a step more sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, they, were, they were good people, but they were kind of jerks a lot of they the time. They were more human than yeah, they were very you human. see a lot of representation. Well, yeah, they were definitely, again, they, they were allowed to be fallible. Right. Partly because you didn't need them after the story sure. was done. I mean, that 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 most crass level is really what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, but, we're but again, we're it's it's a it's a way to you know, and and there are characters in that that do awful things, awful things. Um, you know, but you understand them. Oh, oh yeah. well, certainly, certainly. Yeah. You know, they 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 have feet of clay, and you know those feet of clay sometimes collapse yeah. under them. Yeah. based on the situations. That they're facing, even the ones that don't even necessarily go bad. No, like the wizard pulling out a machine gun, yeah, and, and you know, machine gunning down the villains because they're threatening his family. Yeah, even though nobody is actually hurt in that scene, it's that moment where you see the line that that the character yeah. will cross. So we're bringing if the situation is is correct. We were bringing up earlier just how the interesting Tom Thumb is one of the most interesting characters to me in there, and he is so alienated by the rest of the team which in, in the sense that they don't really you know they work with him but they don't want to associate with him outside right. of work right. and then once he dies they're all revering him right and that's very true to life i felt oh, that's like sure. you know if, if this guy's on the team who's kind of you know he's, he's he's the brains and he's doing all your dirty work for you but no you don't want to hang out with him after work but then after he's gone like oh yeah he was a saint he was the best yeah. it was yeah it rang very true disturbingly true i yeah. think to yeah. a degree do you have a favorite character in the group? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite character per se, although Tom Thumb is probably the closest because the two Tom Thumb issues, I think, are probably the strongest. Yeah, they're really strong. Uh, you know, uh, uh, b- both of them, because mm-hmm. both of them are, are essentially about that, that question of how far, yep. how far will he go, 
how 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 much will he compromise his own integrity and morality to get uh, what he wants, and then ultimately none of it works out right anyway. Yeah. So uh, you know he did all did and does all of the things that he does for, for nothing. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, which I thought, oh, that's 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 pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. It, mm-hmm. You know, it puts the characters through a crucible. Um, you know, but I, I, in essence, I like them all. I, I like the, I like the context of them all pretty well too, uh, and a bunch of the things that, uh, you know, that, that Mark did with them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like Hyperion, uh, you know, losing his sight and wearing the crazy mm-hmm. goggles. Like I would, I would bring that back in a heartbeat. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe I'll do that with Hyperion. Yeah, I was just saying. Got a Hyperion. You know, and and uh, you know, I, I like I like most of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, yeah. Cool. At the end of the book, um, and I just reread the last issue on the train today. It literally takes Nighthawk till the last like four pages to finally convince Hyperion you were wrong, <laughs> but. I think one of the things that makes the story work is that that whole 12 issues, you're not entirely sure if the squadron is wrong. Right. And I don't even know if after the story you're sure that they're wrong. <laughs> do, do, you, do you feel like that was Mark's intent? Like, because on the one hand, I'm like, all right, Mark's speaking to us through Nighthawk at the end and saying this is the conclusive thing. But on the other hand, I was like, I don't know. And I mean, I will never know. But on the other hand, I thought he was saying, like, you know what? This is a complicated issue. We don't know who's right here. Nighthawk might be right. Hyperion might be right. Well, We're think, not sure. I mean, I think he certainly wrote it as a complicated issue, but I yeah. think he definitely Ultimately, wrote it that, yeah. that you know, Nighthawk's position is Mark's position. Yeah. Having looked at it and stared at it and thought about it, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in 12, where, again, he's laying out his premise. Yeah. That is, that is Mark effectively speaking through the character and saying, this... This is what I believe to be true. This is the the theme of my piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that? I thought it was effective too, because it's like as much as Nighthawk or Amphibian or all these other characters throughout the series kind of say like we don't agree. They're not really able to formulate an argument, as you're sometimes not in the heat of sure. whatever. And then when Nighthawk has Hyperion as a captive audience, and he lays it all out, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, right. that's right. That's right. what he was trying to say. Right. These whole twelve issues. Yeah, I always like the fact that I guess it's about halfway through the series, six or seven issues in, Amphibian just has enough. Just takes off. And, yeah, and he just takes off. Back Love that. The sea and he doesn't come back. No. Yeah. 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 He know, doesn't show up again. Know, he, he, he he took off, and your assumption is well, he'll be back for the sure. finale because of course he will. He right. He's gonna be back for the big fight at the end. Yeah. But no, that's the last you see of him. Goes, I love. He goes I love back that. to hang out with the dolphins. Yep. And he is done. You never see him again. I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, for fans who want more, what would you suggest? Like other stuff written by Mark. Obviously, earlier on in the podcast, we talked about uh, you know Supreme Power, and then you know we had tons of praise for Al's uh, Hyperion issue in Avengers this week, which was terrific. Well timed. Um, yeah, it was crazy, <laughs> crazy timing. Um, but you know, anything else you would suggest? Um, well, uh, again. There, there's there's squadron proper, and then there's the the book of all the other squadron stuff. That after mm-hmm. the twelve issue thing, Mark and Paul Ryan did yeah uh, the the squadron graphic novel. Death of the Universe. Like, Death of the Universe, yeah. which is, yeah, those are always funny to think about as graphic novels. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. It's they're so only you know sixty four, really eighty yeah. pages long. It's not what you really think of as a graphic novel, but mm. that's what they call them. So yeah. that's yeah, I and mean, that's clearly the most the, you know the the, the the most immediate thing. And then, to some degree, anything else Mark did. I don't think a lot of his Quasar is in print at this point. 
but that's probably the next, especially for the first yeah. year or two, like 25 issues or so. Um, you know, it's not dealing with exactly the same things. It's set in the Marvel Universe and so forth, but you know, a, a lot of Mark's uh, 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 thought processes and, and things, uh, you know, some of the stuff that he applied to Squadron show up there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and at least at the outset, it's him and Paul Ryan who finished out the mm -hmm. Squadron. So there's a there's a uh, sort of consistency on that level. Awesome. And they show up eventually, right? Yes, they do show up in Squadron. Yeah. That, that's that's where they pop back in. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was wondering earlier, I was like, why did they show up in Quasar? And I forgot that Mark wrote yeah, it. It makes perfect writing, sense. Mark was writing Quasar. <laughs> yep. It was the place he could, he could do that. That's where he could that. drop them off. Uh, cool. And that was one of those things, too, where like he brought them into Quasar and mm -hmm. they did nothing with them. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being like, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and that was really all to just set up the other thing he wanted to do, but that really either didn't have time yeah. for or couldn't get approved or whatever. Yeah at whatever time it was, and so they just kind of hung around yeah. in the Marvel Universe for yeah. a while. Yeah, oh, it was funny, it was because it was those those issues of Avengers that you edited, it was the first time I encountered them, and that was when I ran back, I was like, oh my god, there's a whole book of these guys, I gotta <laughs> go back and read it, so I read that before I read yeah, during, Original Squad. During Heroes Reborn, or setting up to go into Heroes Reborn, I remember, because we had a big you know, editorial meeting talking about all the books at that point, and uh, all this stuff, and I remember Mark... Uh, you know, had laid out a whole you know, whole plan for a year of publishing that would, mm. you know, uh, uh, you know, use the squadron in yeah. the Marvel Universe with that the absence sense. of the Avengers yeah. and the Fantastic Four and everybody and, and do a bunch of stuff. And none of that ended uh, up happening. Mm. Oh. Um, you know, he wasn't able to sell the powers that be at the time on, on that. That's a damn uh, shame. That was the same meeting that uh, the Thunderbolts got approved. I, I was think. just saying, yeah, I, I, it so, feels like they would have occupied the space that the Thunderbolts eventually. Yeah, well, not occupied. necessarily. I mean, right. it, it, there would have been room potentially for for both. Yeah. And again, I don't remember all the details, but I remember he had it broken down like into thirds. Like the first third is this, mm -hmm. and it wasn't all squadrons. Like the first third is this, and then the second third is squadron, and then the third third is whatever. Like these guys do this thing, and then this happens, and then this. It was a very he had, he had a, you know, all sort of meticulously broken down, and it may have just been, you know, Mark tended to think deeply about a lot of this stuff, uh, and Mark as a writer and Mark as a communicator tended to, to be more intellectual than emotional or gut-driven, hmm. and I think that, you know, people would sometimes look at his stuff or, or, or uh, you know, what he was talking about and come across as very dry to them. Hmm. Uh, and so I just don't think he engaged, who, you know, the the imagination of whomever it was that needed to approve stuff at that point in the right way, and just didn't get the traction that he needed at that point. Yeah, uh, it might still have come up, it might still have happened, uh, but it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 it, as much as that's cool, I, I kind of like the fact that this, even though there were was the fall of graphic novel and everything else, I think Squadron Supreme has something special about it that it kind of stands alone, and this right. is the definitive story of these characters, yeah. and even though they. There were stories before and after. This was, this was kind of and, a and big of one. course, you know, the big squadron story. Mm. You can still find this if you just Google my my photo online, <laughs> because my photo is in like ten million newspapers in yeah. 1997. Yeah, is that after Mark? Oh yeah, passed. You know, in his uh, you know will, he wanted his ashes mixed in with a you know with a, with the, the printing yep. of a comic. And that ended up being the first collection of Squadron Supreme, which I put together. Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, you know that 
you know, the, 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 the gruesomeness <laughs> of that, uh, you know, caught AP fire yeah. everywhere. There's one photo of me holding, like, the book. Oh, man. And the, the, the container that the ashes had come into, which my assistant at the time, Glenn Greenberg, yeah. had put Mark's uh, picture on, which is still in my office. So yeah. Mark is still we'll in my it. office now. And that thing ran in, like, a million newspapers. Oh, wow, I didn't know that was... Everywhere. Huh. Uh, and it was enough that I think, uh, you know, they both, uh, uh, because there's nothing on the actual book itself that says anything. Yeah. There were actually, like, stickers sent out, particularly to bookstores, yeah. <laughs> to indicate, these are the books with the dude's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we did two or three more printings over the years, and they had to add to, you know, Catherine wrote the introduction yep. that talks about this. That's and at what the bottom, I have. They had to add a disclaimer I that was, said, I was, second printing, no ashes I was, included. I was so gutted when I got to the end of the intro because I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then it comes yeah. to the end and it says there are no, I was like a third printing. And it says yeah. like there are no ashes in for this For the, this for the longest time, and I don't have any more, you know, in one of our moves, mm -hmm. they have uh, gone away. But uh, for the longest time in my office, I had a box of those trades, mm. you know, it was, you know, whatever the, the box uh, of the era was, you know, however many books were in it, 12 books or mm -hmm. something, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I had that and the temporary container, and I refer to that, that was like the, you know, the, the greatest concentration of Mark Grunewald <laughs> left in the world. That's awesome. Uh, and then eventually, uh, a couple of years later, uh, I went to... There was a, a little uh, uh, Mark anniversary tribute thing mm -hmm. at MoCA, and uh, Glenn Hurdling, who used to be on staff yep. with Mark, uh, 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 you know, was there and had Mark's ponytail. Oh, there, was a, there was a there was a Whoa. thing that they did, uh, a, a bit of, of theater, bit of drama theater mm -hmm. that they did at one of the the Marvel retreats, um, where they staged this whole shenanigan because Mark had had a, had a ponytail because it was the period yep. and he was going to cut it off and you know the jazz that they that they staged was that that, that, that Glenn had gone in and like cut it off on him and, <laughs> but Glenn still had it and I went oh that's a bigger concentration <laughs> and so the books eventually <laughs> just went away There's no value anymore <laughs> I love yeah. it that's great that's great <laughs> uh, well Tom yeah thank thanks. you I appreciate it sure so yeah. talking squadron with us sharing Grunewald stories yeah. Good way to spend an afternoon. Yeah. yeah, ain't bad at all. So what are we reading next? Uh, next time we're going to be reading Mystic by G. Willow Wilson and David Lopez. From uh, It is a real good book. Uh, it's interesting because Ben and I were talking about this. We usually pick books of, you know, we've gone all the way back into the 60s. And this is the first one that we actually covered on the podcast as yeah. it was coming out. Oh, okay. We'll take another but, look. You know, with G. Willow doing Ms. Marvel and David on Captain Marvel, it's just we should get Janine in to, to talk That's about that. Just thinking the same. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Very cool. Right. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. This is Marvel, your universe.